You're listening to New Time Religion with Dr. Andrew Root and me, Derek Tronsgaard. Recently, Andy got me turned on to this documentary on Netflix called The Bill Murray Stories. If you've seen this documentary, you know that basically it's just story after story of all of the weird and wacky ways that Bill Murray will randomly show up in people's everyday, ordinary lives. Like people are at a bar and all of a sudden Bill Murray pops out and pours them a drink. Or they're taking wedding photos and out of nowhere Bill Murray photobombs the session. And what's fascinating about the movie is how big of a deal these random Bill Murray sightings are for people. Like these people actually walk away from these encounters with Bill Murray and they're never quite the same. Did y'all just pick him up? It's Bill Murray. Yeah. Oh, you are kidding. There's always that one person who you want to meet and you'd be like, this is never going to happen. And then this guy shows up at your door. I'm bartending outside on the patio and I get a text message. We're just about to sit down for dinner. Knock on the door. I'm a wedding photographer and I get ready to photograph. And as I look through the lens, I see this guy. We were having a house party and I run inside, close the door. I was like, shh, you're not going to believe it. Bill Murray's here. And what's interesting to Andy about this documentary is that after meeting Bill Murray, people seem to be transformed. It's almost as if they've had a religious experience or an awakening. And for Andy, this is actually really important in the way that we think about how the church ministers to people in the secular age. So this week on the podcast, we're digging into Bill Murray sightings, waking people up, and what it all means. Here's Andy. Have you ever met Bill Murray before? I did. I've actually met Bill Murray. Seriously? Okay, so let me tell you my story about how I met Bill Murray. So I was in high school. If you are not from the Twin Cities here, um, you probably don't know, but you do probably know that Bill Murray owns a bunch of baseball teams, like minor league baseball teams. Yes. And, you know, huge Cubs fan. So he owns, he's part owner of the Saints, the St. Saint Paul Saints. And, and fun fact, yeah. in the movie Space Jam, do you know where I'm going with this? No, I have no idea where you're going with this. In the movie Space Jam... Bill Murray plays basketball with Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes, and he comes out into the game wearing a St. Paul Saints hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was in high school. The St. Paul Saints came back at the stadium that they just tore down that was pretty close to where my house is. Um, It was called uh, Midway Midway something. Midway something. I played there in high school, actually. I played right field in a playoff game. Anyhow, we went. We got there early. We, we went to batting practice, minor league park, so they would just hit the balls over the fence and you could just go pick them up. You know, it's totally different than going to a major league game when you're fighting for baseballs. Well, we get into the stadium. I got like four batting practice northern league baseballs and walking up to the press box is Bill Murray. So I ran up and, and there was a couple other people and I was like, you know, I was the youngest of them and I was like, Mr. Murray, can I... Can I have your autograph? And he signed one of the balls. I actually have it in my office. I'll have to show you before the end of the day. And he said something like, I ran up to him and I said, can I, uh, can I have an autograph? And he said, uh, sure, Spanky, or something like that. <laughs> so he totally insulted me and uh, signed my ball. And yeah, it was cool.
but these people talk about these experiences. Like I think one of the first ones is this this couple in uh, Charleston who was having their wedding photos done, and all of a sudden they start cracking up and freaking out, and the photographer turns around and there's Bill Murray like making faces at these people. So they get Bill Murray into their wedding pictures, and he just totally plays the part and has this kind of stoic look. And so there's all these stories throughout this documentary of these people who have had like essentially epiphanies of Bill Murray. I mean, it's almost has a kind of pseudo sense of like people saying that the Virgin Mary shows up to them. Like, and so then these narratives knit these people together and it does really become like a pseudo transformation. Maybe not even pseudo. I take that back. Like a legitimately transformational experiences. Like these people testify to the eventful experience of the arrival, almost the revelation of Bill Murray that, what they say at the end of the, the documentary, which I find so fascinating, is that it woke them up, that it, that it, it opened them up, that it, it uh, made them feel alive again. And, you know, like he shows up at a party or he shows up at a bar and hangs out with these people. So it's, I, thought, I found it really fascinating. Yeah. What is it about the time period today? Or what is it about that experience of meeting a celebrity, do you think, that causes people to feel that strongly about it? Well, I mean, I'm thinking about this a lot lately, and, and, and I'm just going to, you know, we'll just talk about it. Maybe I'm crazy, but it does have this quality of, of living in a secular age where things become reduced to such an extent that these people all talked about being woken up by this, like I said, you know. Um, and so there is part of the problem with living in a hyperly rationalized or just consumer environment is that we're put to sleep by it in a, in a certain way. And so these become these moments where the ordinary gets punctured with something profound. And it's just it's such a secular tale because in many ways what Bill Murray becomes, like I made jokes about this kind of sense of an arrival or an epiphany or whatever, but it is almost a sense of having an experience with a saint. Like in a saint that wakes you up, a, a saint that helps you live again. Like the veneration of the saints, like in medieval Christianity, was this kind of sense of protection, of actually taking you into living a good life. And these people all testify like that Bill Murray woke them up and allowed them to live a good life. And and so there's I, I think there's something about that that's really interesting. That we need we need something to break us open. What do you think it is about society today that makes people feel like they even need to be woken up in the first place? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, really the interesting thing. And it's it's the interesting thing that I think Taylor is getting at is, you know, all these gains we get, um, like in his Hegel work, uh, he's got his big Hegel work. And then he's got a smaller book on like Hegel and society or something, which is much more readable and interesting. Um, and maybe we've already talked about this on this podcast, but he he really thinks that this there's this this kind of movement that happens from the Enlightenment on, which is to continue to kind of move towards freedom and expression, all in some kind of sense of reason either being a problem or reason being a way to open that up. So freedom and expression is what we're all about. We always want to get more freedom, more expression, but in this odd kind of way, for multiple probably different reasons, that we get to such an ex- we get so much freedom that all of a sudden it becomes deadening. Like, the meaning gets sucked out of it. I think we have to respect for people that it does 
wake them up. Mm -hmm. And I think your question from earlier is like, why are people, what is it about the late modern experience that puts people to sleep? And I think actually one of the things that it does, and we can talk more about this as this podcast unfolds in the next multiple years, but one of the things that puts people to sleep, actually, it's very counterintuitive, but is just how fast things are. They're just tired? I think people are both tired because things are so fast, or they're moving so fast, and time is going so fast, that they can't be awake to any of the experiences. Yeah. And one of the ways that we're coping with speed is to kind of I don't want to say not feel anything, but um, but I think that becomes an issue. And I think we're now, and I think this has been going on for a while. I think we've been just being seeing kind of slow, incremental speeding up of modernity. Um, but I think we're at a, a, we really are at a time now where it feels like things may be out of control fast. You know, like all this, all these, like just certain forms of mental illness and opioid use and all that stuff is just coming out, especially around like young adults, depression rates are just so high. And, um, I think anxiety is so high. And I think a lot of this just has to do with people unable to cope with the acceleration of, um, the pace of their lives, the acceleration of just social change and the acceleration of, of technology in many ways. So, so one of the things we talk a lot about at our church is how it seems like now these big experience or experiential yeah. ministries are the things that actually gain traction and momentum and, and engagement. Yeah. So, like our, an example. Of that. Well, so so we have this mission trip that we go on every year. Yeah, you know, and it started pretty small and it just has sort of snowballed into this huge production. Mm. And I'll have kids now that are in college or maybe even after college and you know it's always fun to see them and catch up and everything and they will always say you know the thing that was the most life-changing for me mm -hmm. was that trip mm -hmm. or um you know a lot of people that i know that that worked at a camp or something it, it's just these like short-term mm -hmm. experiences that are outside of the norm mm -hmm. that seem to have the most effect on their spiritual growth or their you know Mm -hmm. um, and are you skeptical of that? No. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's it seems counterintuitive to me, but we've almost kind of doubled down on that. Yeah. Um, because the old school model of youth group, yeah. where you meet every Wednesday from yeah. seven thirty to nine, it, it just wasn't working for us. Sure. Um, and there's lots of reasons. A lot of them we've talked about, but people have hockey practice or they have homework or you know, but for some reason, having this special thing. That's a week long mm -hmm. where you get everybody together. Mm -hmm. It's not real life. It's mm -hmm. not normal life. But yet it's incredibly powerful. And I even find for myself, I've done this, you know, 13, 14 times and it's still yeah, yeah. wonderful. You know, it's just, it's an interesting thing it to, is to interesting. see that. And I think that's a product of the age of authenticity. And I think it's that. a product of the age of authenticity, but I also think it's a product of like a certain deeper theological rationale that even this Bill Murray thing gets at, which is that we have to have, we yearn for these events of encounter, you know? And I, and I think in those kind of situations, they're always like, like a short, short term mission trips or whatever. They're always, they're always risky and open to being kind of abused or like on the, on the end of the people you go, go and supposedly serve or even on, 
they even can be kind of emotionally manipulative. Yes. But they also are a way of kind of moving in to what I would want to call like the, the, the ministerial constituting nature of God or like God as minister. So for young people to kind of step out of baseball, multiple camps in the summer and to actually, even though, even though we don't know how sincere they are or how much they get it to enter into the events of ministry um, can be, I think is profound. And so for me, theologically, like what is transformational or what is transformational for me is a direct encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Well, where do those happen? Yeah. Well, where those happen are in experiences of persons sharing in ministry, giving and receiving ministry. So I think it makes complete sense that young people would say these are the most important experiences because then of course, packaged around all that are these deep communal realities too where they actually you know are in a bus a long time with each other and you're telling stories and um so that that the community functions that way too so that, that to me that makes complete sense and yeah and it points to something i mean there's a way that bill murray in the in these documentary in this documentary is really ministering to the people I think there's a sense too where with a mission trip and 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 I have friends that are very cynical of them and well now on principle they just don't do them right and the reasons they give is oh it's it's poverty tourism which I, I could see you know the trappings of that they also would say like you were talking earlier it's emotionally manipulative so by the end of the week you're exhausted you know, you do a foot washing, you light some candles, and everyone starts sobbing. You know, is they would say, "Oh, is that right. realism?" You know, right, but, right, right, right. But I truly think that those are moments of awakening for kids and yeah. for adults and for me. Yeah. And then what that does is it sort of opens your eyes, so then you go back home yeah. and you can articulate the inbreaking of God in your sort of ordinary life too. So imagine that uh, you're no longer a professor <laughs> okay. and you are tasked of being the senior pastor of so-and-so such-and-such church. Yeah, yeah. How would you do things at that church with all of this in mind? Well, I've been thinking about this a little bit. So this is probably as practical as I'll I'll get on this whole podcast. Yeah. And it, it's probably a terrible idea. But I have just been thinking about if if it's true that we that we even formulate if it's true that we formulate our identity through narratives and that we need to be woken up by having a story, by sharing a story, by finding ourselves as part of some kind of story. It would be really interesting if you it would depend on the size of your congregation, but if you thought, okay, I'm gonna take and maybe you're just going to pick these, but I'm going to take six stories of kind of people's lives, like say Bonhoeffer's life or say St. Francis's life or, um, I don't know, Mother Teresa's life or something like that. And we're just going to, as a congregation, really get to know these stories. But then we're going to find ways that actually we have to start to tell our own story through these stories. That would be really interesting so that you use some of these 
kind of biographies of the quote unquote saints as a way for people to start waking up, but also giving narrative shape to their own experiences. And I think that becomes part of it. I mean, I, I think there is something that's really true. And I try to talk about this in the, the, the pastor in a secular age. Available on Amazon now. Yes. There's, okay. there's the, um, pause for the, for the ugly pitch. We need um, like a, like a cash register sound effect that we could throw. We, in there too. <laughs> we do. Where, uh, but people do have these uncanny experiences you know, of like weird things that have happened to them that have given their lives meaning or just have been weird and at the time felt really revelatory or felt really ministered, like they felt really ministered to through them and then forgot about them or moved on or had nowhere to share them or nowhere to ever even like tell the story and have it link together with the rest of their lives. And I guess you could take a really cynical perspective and be like, well, yeah. That's what religion does that proves that it's a fake thing is it tells stories about things that happen in your life and the more you tell them in a certain way, the more you believe that they happen that way, you know? Um, I have this experience telling stories and presentations. Like, I can't get back to the original story. Like, after I've told the story a dozen times, the reality of the story is reality. And uh, I used to, like, when I was in high school, I used to be so harsh on that. Like, you probably don't remember this. This is like an old school reference. But uh, Tony Campolo tells this story about like this birthday cake for a prostitute in Hawaii. Like, you know this story? No. Really famous story. It's in a couple of his books. And then the word got out like in the late 90s that it didn't quite happen like this. Like it's something like it So happened. basically he's a pastor is what you're saying. Because he's telling stories that didn't quite happen <laughs> yeah, like this. Right. <laughs> but like all no. of us, all of us evangelical kids were so upset yeah. like that he... And he, he, I don't think he was manipulative, but he was just, and I think his point that I didn't understand until I started becoming a storyteller myself is that once you tell this story multiple times, the story lives in its own way. And I guess what you could then say in this, in the cynical approach is like, well, see, there's nothing real at all anyhow. And, and this is just what religion does to manipulate people. But at another level... No, this is exactly what it means to be formed in a certain way. This is what it exactly means to be alive, that we always are living through other people's stories. There's no way to be a human being and not be living through other people's stories. And that can be really dangerous, but it's also fundamental, fundamentally necessary. So what would it mean practically for a church to say like, okay, for this, for this season of Lent or for each of the church season, this season of Advent, then this season of Lent, we're going to try to, we're, we're going to try to, be in critical engagement with some people's stories. And then we're going to try to read our lives through these stories. And then to give people storytelling opportunities to tell their own stories through, say, the life of Bonhoeffer or something. And then you could do something really creative where you would kind of recover, like, uh, the storytelling of stained glass, you know, and mosaic. And you could almost, like, it would be really cool to have, I don't know where you'd do it, but, like, a mosaic of Bonhoeffer, like, to tell... Bonhoeffer story in a mosaic, but then there's like three people in your congregation who had stories that link up with that, and you kind of mosaic those, or you graffiti art those, or something, and those stay present within your community. Because I think that's one of the beautiful things when you go to Europe and look at that stained glass is that you have to learn to read stained glass. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating for me because, like, you go to Chartres or whatever, and I can't read stained glass. But there's a whole story there that any peasant who would have walked into that cathedral would have been able to read that story. Um, and so there's some ways that we have to be able to, to read the stories 
of our lives inside the stories of others. But that's one of the things that the Enlightenment does. You don't have to do that anymore. Your own story is your own story. Your story doesn't matter to anyone else. You've got to find your own story. And I think what we're discovering is it doesn't wake you up to the world. It makes you dull to the world. That you need to live your life through other stories. And uh, I think that's what faith formation ultimately is. What would it mean for us to live our lives through the story of Jesus Christ? What would it mean to live our lives through the stories of these saints? Um, and I think that's what it means to, to venerate a saint or to have this as my saint. Is in some sense, I read my own life story through this person's story that takes me into encounter with the living God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. New Time Religion, featuring Dr. Andy Root, is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our show. You can find out more about Andy's books at his website, andrewroot.org, or order them on Amazon. His most recent book series focuses on Charles Taylor's work and the secular age. The first book, Faith Formation in a Secular Age, is available now, and the second book in the series, The Pastor in a Secular Age, is coming out this week on June 18th. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network. You can check them out at alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R for other great shows. New episodes of our show in our first season will be coming out every week. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.